Monday edition of PFTPM on Peacock. Shereen Williams, Mike Florio here with you for the next hour. And fortunately this week, the NFL was smart. They didn't schedule a game against us. They knew to stand down. They knew to back off. All that Buccaneers Raiders game was going to be put at five o'clock Eastern. And then they thought, you know what? We're going to have to contend with PFTPM and safety blitz on Peacock. We, we better just leave that game in the 405 Eastern regional hellhole that it was in, Shereen. So it's now tied. They won last week. We win this week. Don't mess with us, Mike. I think we showed them last <laughs> week, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, dozens were watching us while uh, also getting real-time <laughs> updates on the Bills Chiefs game last Monday night as I was watching it while we were on the air. Hey, got to do my job. Got to do both jobs at once sometimes. All right, we got a job for the next hour. Full focus, no multitasking, no games to watch other than the one that's coming up in about three hours on ESPN, Bears at Rams. We'll get you ready for that later on. For now, what you need to know on a typical Monday, and by typical, I mean a busy Monday, a lot going on in the National Football League. And the top story, even though he's not the guy that he once was from a sizzle standpoint, from a production standpoint, he was having his worst season before Sunday, it's still a big deal when any star player, current or former, or a little bit, you know, I'm trying to be nice to the guy, but he's not, can we stipulate OBJ isn't what he once was, but still. Yes. Torn ACL out for the year, jarring, affects Cleveland in ways that we don't yet know, but still, it's a big deal. And I feel bad for the guy because he injured himself hustling after an interception. How many times do we see guys make business decisions, and now we know why they do? Because you get yourself into an uncharacteristic situation like that, and you can get jumbled up, and you can get injured, and your season can be over. Yeah, kudos to Odell Beckham for trying to make the play. You know, we saw DK Metcalf in the game last night run down Buda Baker. I mean, you know, you, you like guys to hustle in, in those situations to, despite uh, the play not going their way. And, and he was trying to make a play and totally unfortunate. I did find it sort of funny that people said uh, on the Internet have said all day, hey, the, who are the Browns going to go out and trade for a receiver? Do they really need another receiver? I'm just saying this this is a team that's built around the run and Chubb's going to come back. And and the, it, this, to me, perhaps makes their def, their offense better because they won't have to worry about getting the ball to Odell Beckham and they can get it to the open receiver and they can concentrate on running the ball, all those things that they're good at. So. I want to see this offense without him in it just to see if they're not going to try to force the ball into Odell Beckham just to keep him happy. He did lead the team in targets, and maybe he shouldn't have. He hasn't been the same receiver, Mike, since those first three seasons. The last four seasons have not been good. He hasn't made a Pro Bowl, and he hasn't made a Pro Bowl for a reason. And as we know, everyone makes the Pro Bowl. Well, that's true. We could make the Pro Bowl. That, that's how far down they are getting in the barrel that we almost are eligible for it. All right, before I echo your thoughts, because I agree with most of what you said, let's hear from Kevin Stefanski, the head coach of the Cleveland Browns, on the impact of Odell Beckham Jr.'s season-ending injury on the team. The energy he brings to practice, the energy he brings to games, uh, you, you can't, you know, you can't, uh, no one else is going to be able to bring that type of juice. Uh, but... It's, it's our job to find the guys that, that can go compete, that we can go put them in spots where they can succeed. Uh, and, and I think we'll be able to do that. Uh, that's not easy. I don't want to have to do it. And I'm very disappointed for Odell. 
but that's the nature of this beast. And I, injuries are part of this game and, and doesn't mean any of us have to like it, but we do have to deal with it. He definitely brings a lot of juice, but you know what? He only had one really significant and impactful game this year, and it was against the Cowboys. And in hindsight, the win over the Cowboys is not as impressive as it was at the time that it happened because the Cowboys have been anything but impressive this year since then. And I talked to Stefanski right after that game. He said, it's on me to get Odell Beckham Jr. involved early in games. And then the next week against the Colts, he was mostly a decoy. And then the next week against the Steelers, he didn't do much of anything. Now they went to him right out of the gates. One of the first plays from scrimmage, interception, and that's what resulted in the torn ACL. So they're trying to get him the ball, but it's that pressure, that constant presence, that constant thou shalt get the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. that became a distraction for this offense over the last two years. So here's where I'm with you, Shereen. I don't know that this is going to make the Browns offense, in the grand scheme of things, dramatically worse. Now, it's always helpful to have a guy who commands double coverage, a guy who runs down the field and takes a safety with him and opens up everything. I don't know that they need that with the running game that they have. And when you balance out the trade-off, you give up the guy who commands double coverage, you take away the guy who demands the ball. And there's always that narrative and there's always that pressure. And it reminds me of the year after Calvin Johnson retired from the Lions. I actually thought Matthew Stafford was a better quarterback at least in that first year, because he could just throw the ball to whoever was open without holding it a little bit longer to wait for Calvin Johnson to get open. Without that extra half second of, should I throw it even though he's double covered and maybe he'll catch it anyway? Sure, what the hell? I think that you remove that. Look how well Baker Mayfield played yesterday. It's like, oh, he's not going to play well without Odo Beckham Jr. Well, once he got the 0 for 5 out of his system, he went 22 for 23. So I don't think this is going to be a huge loss, if at all. And I hate to say that because he is a great player. But just all the dynamics that went along with it, I don't know that this is a major negative for the Cleveland Browns. You know what? For certain it takes away, Mike, over the next week it takes away trade speculation. And you were one who was saying, I think the Browns need to trade Odell Beckham. Well, they can't do that now. That's done. That's over. We're not going to be talking about that all week. And maybe that would have been something the Browns would have looked at. Maybe he wouldn't have been there for the rest of the season anyway. They could have gotten probably great value for Odell Beckham. And now he's not going to be in the lineup for a different reason. And I know they don't like losing him to injury. He is a great player. He does command that respect. But I don't know that this is going to affect their offense all that much. I think it allows them to run the ball, which is what they're really good at and which is what they should be doing all the time because they're really a great run offense and take the ball out of Baker's hands. Don't let him make those mistakes. Throw it when you have to throw it. And that's when he's, that's when he's good. And that's when this offense is good. Hey, throw it to Donovan Peoples-Jones, right? Those other guys, next man up. Yep. Peoples-Jones makes the game-winning touchdown catch yesterday. Jarvis Landry is still there. And you don't have to go out and make a trade to replace an Odell Beckham Jr. Just go forward with who you have. Keep working the guys you have. You know, they may not be trading David Njoku. He's still around. They got a couple of touchdowns out of Harrison Bryant yesterday. They've got Austin Hooper. So you've got weapons. Use the weapons you have and move forward and let Baker Mayfield develop into the quarterback you want to be. I remember from the moment that they traded for OBJ, I thought, is Cleveland big enough for both Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr.? And I still believe the two of them never really clicked the way that they should have, for good reason. Odell Beckham Jr. shows up for the first day of the offseason program in 2019, poses for the pictures, speaks to the media, 
and then never comes back for the voluntary portions, for most of the voluntary portions of the offseason program while Baker Mayfield's there busting his butt getting ready for the season. I think that may happen. I don't know this, but I'm just applying logic and common sense and trying to observe and understand human nature. I can't imagine the quarterback of the team is all that happy with a guy who does a drive-by and is big of a star, if not bigger than Baker Mayfield right out of the gate. So I think this actually could help the Browns. And when you look at their schedule, and I know this would qualify me for a bingo square on the morning show because <laughs> apparently whenever we bring up the schedule, it's, I don't know, uh-huh. I guess it's an objectionable thing to actually look at the broader perspective of the season. But the, the Browns have the Raiders up next and then a bye. They've got at least five more wins on this slate of games. They'll have five more games they should win, and they win the games they should win. Now, yesterday, it took a little extra work, and it looked like it wasn't going to happen, but they still got the win, and that's going to give them confidence going into this game at home against the Raiders. After the bye, Texans win. Eagles should be a win, but with the Eagles, you never know. At the Jaguars, hey, hey, that's just chalk that up as a W. At the Titans, and the Ravens are two games that they need to worry about, and they got the Steelers Week 17 after they play the, the two New York teams. There's three games that they should lose. Three games, Titans, Ravens, Steelers. The others could, should win. The Raiders, I think, is the one that falls into the middle ground this week, especially with the Raiders trying to get back on the right path after getting blown out yesterday. So I think the Browns got 10, maybe 11 wins. That'll get them to the playoffs. And they're going to, and, and, and you know what's going to happen? As soon as the season ends, the narrative is going to be they, they should just go ahead and trade all of Beckham Jr. now. They don't know. They don't need him. The team got better once he got injured. That's what's going to happen if this team makes it to the playoffs as it should. Yeah. And Kevin Stefanski, we're going to be talking about him as coach of the year because it's going to be, oh, look what he did without Odell Beckham, you know, disregarding what that schedule looks like. And they probably would have won these games either way anyway. But he is going to be a candidate for coach of the year considering the Browns history. There's no doubt about that. If they go do what we think they should do what the expectations are, what the line's going to say as they go play all these games. But I would like to know, Mike, from your perspective, because you have pushed him, you have pushed a trade thinking that they should trade him. What does this do for his trade value, do you think, in the offseason? Is there going to be a team that would step up after this injury to say, yeah, we want Odell Beckham on our team and we're willing to give you a high price for him? It's going to be hard to trade him now until you know that he's healthy. And when will we know that he's healthy? April, May, June. So I I think that no one's going to touch him until they know that he's healthy. And even then, I think the value has gone down dramatically. They could have traded him this past offseason. And there was a report from WFAN that the Vikings and the Browns were talking about it. And, of course, everybody denied it because that's what you have to do. doesn't mean it didn't happen. And – And I wouldn't have been surprised if something would have bubbled up this week. Maybe from his perspective, not the Browns saying let's cut and run, but maybe some agitation from Odell Beckham Jr. If he had mustered the nerve to say, I want out. I I think he always wants to be perceived as a great teammate. And great teammates don't say, trade me off of this team. But my guess is he would have welcomed it if the opportunity would have arisen to go to a better team, to, to go to a team that can beat good teams. That was part of his complaint last week in his press conference when he explained why he was frustrated. They're beating bad teams. They're not beating good teams. Give us all these bad teams. That's fine. All that gets us is a first round exit from the playoffs. So I I think that 
there's an alternate universe out there where he didn't get injured yesterday. And this week, speculation, reports, rumors, and the possibility of a deal being done for Odell Beckham Jr. Wednesday or Thursday. And remember, those are the days to keep an eye on. Wednesday or Thursday of this week, because of the COVID-19 delay, you've got to do the five days of testing before you can get into the team. If you want your guy that you trade for ready for week nine, you got to get the deal done by the end of this week so he can join you for practice next week. Speaking of trade possibilities, Shereen, let's pivot now to the New Orleans Saints and Michael Thomas. And I strongly believe at this point that he will not be traded. I do know this. I know that there was an effort from Thomas's camp to try to get a team to make the Saints an offer that they couldn't slash wouldn't refuse. That doesn't mean Thomas wants out per se. It doesn't mean that the Saints want to move him. It just means that Maybe someone wanted that option to at least be on the table. And the problem is no one was willing to even put together the kind of offer that it would have taken because it's going to take a lot to prime away from the Saints. Saints are going to take a $20 million dead cap charge next year if they would trade him now. And they've got to accept the fact that they'd have to go forward for the rest of the season without him. The reality is they've played most of this season without him and they're four and two. But if he comes back, if he's healthy, if everything is pointed in the right direction, if he's learned his lesson, if he complies with what the team wants. There was that article from Jeff Duncan of The Athletic that, again, I don't think he dug up the information in a dumpster somewhere. I think it was handed to him by the Saints to get the message out, to get the word out, to get Michael Thomas in a position where he does what the team wants. But as of right now, I'd be stunned if he gets traded. But I do know that there was, at least from Thomas's perspective, an effort to try to get someone to go to the Saints with something, and that didn't pan out. The Saints have sent him an awful lot of messages this year, Mike, and and if he doesn't get those into his head by now, he's probably not going to. Uh, If I'm Drew Brees, I go try to repair this relationship however I have to repair this relationship. I just think the Saints are a better team with him than without him. We just talked about maybe this doesn't change the Browns. I think absolutely Michael Thomas changes the look of the Saints, what they do. He commands that presence on the field that defensive coordinators and defenses have to worry about. He, In my mind, he's one of the top five, if not top two or three receivers in the NFL. And I just think when you look across the line at him, you know he's going to go make his catches. He had 149 last season, which demolished the NFL record. He's that good. And so if I'm the Saints, I'm not looking to trade him. I'm looking to repair that relationship to get him back on the field because I know I need him to go beat the Buccaneers and to go do what we want to do in the playoffs, which is try to win another Super Bowl before Drew Brees gets finished. And he's almost finished, as we well know. Yeah, and I... I uh... I think that the problem is there's a level of intensity and competitiveness and just desire for Michael Thomas that that can't always be harnessed the right way. And it does manifest itself in ways it practice punching a teammate. Some of the other things that came out, just boorish behavior. And and when you got a guy who is that focused and that driven and that motivated Sometimes it is hard to flip the switch on and off, and I think that may be part of the issue. And I think in a year when he came into the season, Shireen, saying he wanted to do even better than 149, and he exits week one, and he's gone ever since then, and he'll be back week eight at the earliest, that's going to contribute to more frustration, and it's going to make you feel like you're not in control of your game, of your life, of anything, and it may 
It may spill over. You know, we have bad days sometimes and we take it out on the people around us. That happens. The challenge is finding a way to to reel that in. And I think that's what the Saints are trying to get him to do. But he will be with the Saints for the rest of the year, barring something incredibly unexpected at this point. All right. Uh, best thing that you will see today or really any day, Ron Rivera, Washington football team head coach, completing his cancer treatment last day. And he got to go out and ring the bell, the new ritual, an awesome thing for cancer patients when they reach the end of that long and horrible journey. Here's a little bit of Ron Rivera from earlier today. Get one with him first. Okay. Yeah. Right. How about okay. I, I do this for you? I'll let him go ahead. I'm going okay. to okay. All right. Hey, let me tell you, I hope to never be in that position, but I would pull that damn bell off the wall if I ever got to the end of that kind of a journey. And uh, um, so anyway, it, it was it was great to it was great to see that. And uh, here's hoping that it is the end of the journey. You know, you never know with something like this, but the treatment's over. And uh, he goes forward and he barely missed a beat. And, and his team is a half game out of first place in the NFC East, which sounds a hell of a lot better than saying two and five. That just gives me chills, Mike. And you go back and you think about yesterday and how hard Washington played and how hard Dallas didn't play. And they almost looked like they quit. And I kept thinking about that, thinking, if you're Washington, how do you quit on this head coach? I mean, what he's gone through, uh, missing practice, missing some meetings, and just gutting it out, having IVs at halftime of games to keep going, that just gave me chills watching that. And, and I'm with you. I would, I would pull that bell off the wall. Uh, but but it, it was the greatest thing you'll see on the Internet. He has stolen the Internet with how it's going. Uh, and if you haven't seen that on Twitter, go find it because uh, it, it's pretty awesome. You know, when I talked to him yesterday after the game, I, you know, I, 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 I obviously wanted to talk a lot about the game, but, but I told him, you know, when my mom was going through cancer treatments, you, you, when you're just an average person dealing with it, you look for someone out there who's dealing with it in a high-profile way, and that becomes your inspiration. For her, it was Jim Valvano, and there's got to be thousands of people who are inspired by Ron Rivera and that helps them get through their own because it is an ugly, nasty fight that turns your life upside down. My mom's month consisted of two weeks of recovering for chemo, one week of feeling halfway decent and one week of dreading the next round. And, uh, and that just was lather, rinse, repeat over and over and over again over a course of six and a half years. So you take whatever motivation you can come and inspiration from wherever you can find it. So kudos to Ron Rivera for that. All right, we're going to take a break. When we continue with this Monday edition of PFTPM, it is MPMQB, including some questionable decision-making from Seahawks coach Pete Carroll. We'll be right back. Last possession of regulation, you guys got a first down. And then uh, you stalled at midfield and you punted. Uh, was there much thought at that fourth and two to, to go for it? Not right there, no. Well, that was a pretty simple answer to the question, Pete Carroll. 
thinking about going for it on fourth and two. And and I think there's two questions here late in regulation, a minute left, fourth and two on their own side of the 50, holding a three-point lead over the Arizona Cardinals, apart from whether or not you go for it on fourth and two. What's the third and two call with a minute 40 left in the game? Carlos Hyde run for no gain. You got Russell Wilson. What, what, what are you doing reverting to the old ways when you've got Russell Wilson? At least keep the ball in his hands so that if no one's open, he can squirt through for the first down. We've seen that time and again, right? Why, why do you limit yourself to one option? Can Carlos Hyde make two yards when you can keep the ball in Russell Wilson's hands? He could throw it to somebody or he can run it. That's what I have a problem with. Punting it on fourth and two, I, uh, look, it's, it's not like you're dealing with the Chiefs offense. It's not giving the ball back to Patrick Mahomes. But it's getting in that direction with Kyler Murray. I don't have as much of a problem with fourth and two punt as I do with a third and two play call. Shereen, how about you? Let's rewind, Mike. Let's go back to that Vikings-Seahawks game, as much as I know you don't want to go back to that. But remember, the Vikings had the fourth and one, and their starting running back wasn't in the game, and they give it to Alexander Madison, and he comes up short. Well, you would think the Seahawks and Pete Carroll would have learned a lesson from that, right? They don't have their starting running back, Chris Carson, Carlos Hyde was a free agent forever. He was a free agent forever for a reason. Nobody thought he could play. So giving him the ball in a crucial third and two situation, I'm not expecting him to pick up the first down. And if they do pick up the first down, the game is over. So I thought the Seahawks all along were going to win this game. I never felt like the Seahawks were going to lose this game. They're up 13 twice, and you just felt like they were on the verge of putting it away, putting it away, putting it away. They never did. Then they come down to this situation, and when they don't make the first down and decide to punt the ball, that's when I said they are going to lose this game. I had zero confidence in the 32nd-ranked defense to be able to stop the Cardinals from getting a tying field goal. It was not going to happen. Their best hope was that they would miss the field goal, which Zane Gonzalez obviously did on the first one in overtime, but then he got that second chance. That was their best hope at that point. So I guess my point is, do you want to put the ball and the game in the hands of Russell Wilson, or do you want to put the ball in the hands – not not literally, obviously, but the 32nd-ranked defense. Who do you have more trust in? If it's me, I have more trust in Russell Wilson, and I want to let him do something on that third down play. I know the Cardinals were out of timeouts. He's smart enough. He's going to do something smart with the ball, probably pick you up a first down. If he doesn't, I'm probably going for it again because I have that much faith in him more than I have in that 32nd-ranked defense, which has shown all year it can't stop anybody except the one play they made on the goal line against the Patriots. That's it. That's the only stop they've made this year. And I guess the one against the Vikings, right, with yeah, Alexander thanks. Madison. So they yeah, made two thanks. plays I this need, year. <laughs> I need to mention that one again. Um, the, the other thing about Russell Wilson squirting through traffic and gaining yardage, point that I made earlier today on PFT Live when Sims and I were talking about the game, Russell Wilson seemed less explosive last night than usual. And I think he seemed less explosive than usual because Kyler Murray was on the same field last night. Yeah. You know, when you've got Russell Wilson against Tom Brady, damn, that Russell Wilson can fly. When you've got Kyler Murray against Russell Wilson, you think, man, what's wrong with Russell Wilson? I mean, we saw him get gobbled, gobbled up a few times and get tackled before he could break away. And it's glaring 
when the other quarterback is a guy who cannot be touched. He dropped back 50 times in all last night and was hit zero times on those plays. It is unbelievable to see. And I hope the folks out there who were hoping for Buccaneers Raiders understand why it's so damn special to see Kyler Murray in prime time. Even if it's a blowout, you want to see what Kyler Murray can do. And I have a feeling, Shereen, you're starting to come around. You're start you're starting to bury the hatchet that he transferred from Texas A&M. Yeah, maybe a little bit. He has been special. I'll say that. I want to see him improve his passing. Obviously, the passer rating isn't quite there what it needs to be, and he made some bad throws. And I, you know, I was there for the Dallas game when he really didn't have a good passing day outside of two throws that he did make that went for an 80-yard touchdown and a 60-yard gain. But I do want to see him become a better thrower, but he is special because he makes those plays with his legs. And you do worry about him. At some point, he's going to take a hard hit. Uh, He hasn't so far, but at some point, he will take a hit that he doesn't see coming, uh, and and hopefully he survives that and gets back out there and and still has his legs underneath him. And, you know, we saw with Michael Vick, he went so long with those legs and eventually lost those legs. But I, I tell you what, while he has what he has, that jitterbug thing that he does that you just can't tackle him. I mean, Bobby Wagner's probably cringing at the film today of of him juking Bobby Wagner on one of those plays. And that what he did it to several Seahawks. But, you know, you just can't hit him. You can't get a good shot on him. Uh, and he gets away and he ends up making great yardage every single time. And, and it is amazing what he's done in the NFL because I was one of the critics. I was one of those who said he is not going to be a good NFL quarterback. And he has defied me and, and done it. And he's been very good so far. There was a moment last night in overtime on that first down deep in Seattle's end where he did get hit. And it was kind of he got crunched up. And I think that's what freaked out Cliff Kingsbury, the Cardinals coach, and got him to try to kick the field goal on second down. It's like, let's get, let's get off the field before something happens to Kyler. And, of course, he iced his own kicker, not quite Jason Garrett style because the play clock was running out and they needed to keep it from becoming a 46-yard attempt. But his kicker did miss the next one. It all worked out in the end somehow for the Arizona Cardinals. So much happened in that game just in the final few minutes of overtime. It, it, it really was an exciting game, and it was exhausting, but Great it was game. exhilarating at the same time. The Cardinals coming up on Sunday, week 12, November 29, the Sunday of Thanksgiving weekend, will make the trip to Foxborough to take on the Patriots. It remains to be seen if New England can figure out what's wrong between now and then. Here's Bill Belichick following Sunday's home loss to the 49ers to the score of 33-6. to well, we, um, you know, didn't didn't do enough of anything tonight, really, to be competitive. Um, we were clearly outcoached, outplayed, just out everything. So we need to just keep working here and find a way to just do everything better. Um, just not not performing at a at a good level at all right now in any area. Shereen, who do you blame for what's going on with the Patriots right now? Well, Mike, you know, I know it's easy to, to, to look at what's happened this year, but let's go back to last year. I mean, this is a team that was 10-1 and one late last season. Remember, it looked like we were all saying, hey, they're going to win a seventh championship with Tom Brady. This, this is the team. They're, they're rolling, and they were rolling. And since then, they've won four of the last 12 games. It's not been pretty for the Patriots. So I think this goes back 
farther than this year. But then you look at all the COVID opt-outs they've had, eight of them, particularly on defense. I think that defense was hit really, really hard. But if I had to point the finger to, to, to just one, I would say it's not getting the personnel and not replacing some of the key players, not getting more weapons for this offense. I don't know whether it's Cam or I don't know whether it's the weapons he has, but I do know that the weapons he has are not very good, just like that was one of Tom Brady's uh, big complaints last year is they just didn't have the weapons, especially after they cut A.B. after week two. So if I'm going to point the finger at anybody, it's going to be not getting the personnel in here to, to let the coach coach and the quarterback do his thing on offense. And it really is amazing that they haven't been able to do that because they, they've got plenty of cap flexibility. They, they make it a point of pride of putting together teams that do not gobble up huge pieces of cap space. And they have the, the second class, the second tier, the middle class of guys who can replace injured starters if need be. And they're making good money. You're not relying on an undrafted free agent to come in and get it done, but it's just not working this year. I really do think that Cam Newton testing positive just burst the bubble for the Patriots. Things were moving in the right direction. And when that happened, they lost to the chiefs, although they gave the chiefs one hell of a good game. Then they had that two weeks of barely practicing and multiple guys on the COVID-19 reserve list. And they were lifeless against the Broncos, but still, found a way late to make it interesting, and then they just get blown off the field yesterday. I, I I look at that game, and it's so rare that the Patriots have that kind of a low watermark, and the graphic we had up earlier was stunning to see they haven't had a 27-point loss at home since 1998. That's when Pete Carroll was coaching the New England Patriots. That's how long ago that was. And I I, I think, okay, this is on to Cincinnati. This is it. This is on to Cincinnati. But you know what? After that Kansas City Chiefs loss on a Monday night in 2014, when we had that defiant Bill Belichick with the on to Cincinnati mantra, the first time we ever heard that, and it became part of the NFL lexicon, there wasn't any of that defiance in him yesterday. He seems resigned. He seems defeated. It doesn't help that he's got the give-me-all-your-money mask on his face. We can't really read. It's not that he ever has any facial expressions anyway, but I, it just, <laughs> he doesn't have that same fire that he had in 2014 that took that blowout loss to the chiefs and parlayed it into a super bowl run. Yeah. You know, Mike, we went into the season saying, was it Belichick or was it Brady? And Brady obviously hasn't lost it. I do think we're talking about the Buccaneers now as being one of the top teams in the NFC after after what they've done since that Chicago game over the last two weeks beating the Packers and the Raiders. But I don't think Belichick's lost it. I do think Belichick still has it and will always have it. And he's always going to be a step of, ahead of everybody else. But I do think it shows you that you have to have the players and losing those eight players to the opt-outs and losing his quarterback and everything else that's happened to the team it just makes it really hard. Then when you can't practice, this is a team to me that needs to practice, perhaps more than any others. You look at Tennessee, what they did without practice, they come right out and, and get a win. But that's not the Patriots. And I think the, the Patriot way, they need the practice time. And they didn't get that, especially with the new quarterback. They didn't have a Ryan Tannehill who was there last year and all those things. But my question would be, Mike, to you, is where they are right now. I mean, this does not look like a team that's that's going to go to the playoffs. It's definitely not a team that's going to win a Super Bowl. I think we we all agree on that. Do you tank? Do, do you try to get the top draft pick? 
because Cam Newton is on a one-year deal. And maybe you're figuring out he's not your quarterback. So maybe you play Jarrett Stidham the rest of the year, find out what you have in him, get a high pick. Maybe you get Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't see the Patriots ever doing that. And, and at least not anytime soon, because I continue to believe that the Patriots are like the Terminator and the Terminator isn't dead until it is completely and totally and absolutely dead over and over and over again. They keep coming back and, you know, I, I won't be surprised if they win this weekend in Buffalo. They they match up much better with Buffalo than they do with the 49ers. That's a point Sims made earlier today. And I, I could see the Patriots beating them, and I could see that being the thing that, that reestablishes something. It may not be a, a, a division title, although if you beat the Bills and you've already beaten the Dolphins, you're in – decent position to maybe still win the division, even if you end up being the four seed and you have to host a team like the Ravens or the Steelers, whoever doesn't win the AFC North, that's going to be a damn good team that comes into town for the wild card round. But if I'm the Ravens, the Steelers, the Chiefs or the Titans, the clear four best teams in the AFC, I say, kill the Patriots. Now let's end this. Now they're on the ropes, punch them through, or we'll regret it in January. And I'm not giving up. I never give up on my preseason Super Bowl pick until they're mathematically eliminated. The Patriots are not mathematically eliminated. I got the Bucs and I got the Patriots. I'm feeling pretty damn good about the Bucs. I'm not feeling very good about the Patriots, but I'm not going to abandon ship yet. Here's Cam Newton from earlier today on WEEI's Greg Hill Show talking about being benched yesterday for Jared Stidham. For any type of competitor, do you feel embarrassed? Yeah. Yeah, and and I am as 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 honest as I could possibly be right now. Uh, but yeah, it, it 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 tells you. And the first thing I said, you know, to myself coming home, I said, "You keep playing games like that, bro, and it's going to be a permanent change." And you know, so wh- whatever type of way that we we have to motivate ourselves, I'm 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 honest with myself. So that that leaves no type of miscommunication with others. And, you know, when the, when, when the change happened, you know, I'm, I'm stuck on the sideline, you know, listening to, to plays and saying to myself, like, listen, is this really, you know, how you want to, you know, do things? Are you, this is how you want things to be done. And, and until you make that step to get better, as you have been harping on these last couple of weeks, then that's what it's going to be. I don't fear coaches. Um, I don't fear coaches stability or my position stability more so than, controlling the locker room, right? And, you know, performances like yesterday, you know, it jeopardizes like, oh, my God, like you know, players talk, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's what it's more – that that's what's most important to me. Very candid from Cam Newton, acknowledging that, that this is the kind of thing that gets his players possibly whispering to each other when Cam's not around because you sure as hell aren't going to do it when Cam's in the room because I wouldn't say anything about Cam if he's in the room. I'm sorry. I'll be the first to admit it. Uh, Some of those players, when Cam leaves the room, may be saying, can you believe how much he sucked on Sunday? So um, now the problem is for the Patriots, it's not like there's another guy there that the players are going to get behind. Jarrett Stidham has proven he's not very good yet. Brian Hoyer had his chance a few weeks ago against the Chiefs. That didn't work out. I, I think the locker room still believes in Cam, but maybe you look at him a little bit differently. And, and you know, since he was 
patient zero for their COVID-19 outbreak. I just wonder if that's when guys may have started looking at him a little differently because I know, and it, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that the Patriots would have been harping on their players throughout the offseason, throughout training camp, every possible turn, what to do to stay away from the virus. And the first guy to get it is the starting quarterback and one of the team captains. Are you kidding me, Cam? Cam, you're the one that brought this in there. What the hell were you doing, Cam, to get this? Don't you listen to what Coach says? And, and I really think that that's what has rattled this foundation to the core. And, and has caused this team to be where it is now. And it's going to take a lot to turn it around. And they don't have much time to do it because the next train's on the tracks. And here come the Buffalo Bills. There needs to be some explanation, Mike. I mean, in the last four games, he has two touchdowns and seven interceptions. So is it COVID that doesn't explain all of those games? Or is it the injured sh shoulder? Is the shoulder 100%? Because to me, he looks a lot like the quarterback we've seen the last two years and not very good, not getting the ball down the field. I know he might have had hit his hand in, in the Broncos game, and maybe that was something too. I don't know. And I don't know what explains this. Maybe it's a lack of weapons. There's a lot of things it could potentially be. But I do think something is just not right with Cam Newton, whatever that is. Maybe he hasn't adjusted to Josh McDaniel's system. I don't know. Again, there's a hundred things it could be. I think those are all possibilities. But to me, he just doesn't look like the same guy from 2015 and hasn't looked like that guy for a really long time now. And I thought getting to New England in this system, they would design the system for him and despite not having all those weapons, that he would still be a really good quarterback. And I thought he was early on, but he hasn't been over the last four games. It's actually gotten so bad. He was asked today on WEEI whether he's having brain fog from COVID-19. Yeah. He denied it, of course, but that's how bad it's been. And that's how far he's fallen. And when you look at his passing performances each week, the passer rating, which is a decent stat for passing efficiency, it's gotten Lower and lower and lower. It's gone from over 100 to south of 40 progressively every game that he has played. All right. Let's go on to your favorite team as determined by the <laughs> T-shirt hanging or the T-shirt, the jersey hanging over your shoulder, as it always is. Roger Staubach has to look at this team and think, my God, how far my beloved Cowboys have fallen, Shireen. Oh, yeah. And here's the question. Mike McCarthy, how bad is this getting for the Cowboys and how bad will it get? And would the Joneses actually fire Mike McCarthy after one year, acknowledging that they would have to admit to the world that they screwed up and they shouldn't have hired him in the first place. Is Jerry sufficiently desperate to win a Super Bowl, Shireen, that he would consider moving on from McCarthy after only one season and buying out the balance of his contract? Mike, there's so many things that they can blame this season on, right? They First, they can blame it on the offseason, which Stephen Jones did today. He said, we didn't have time to put in Mike's culture, uh, Mike's program, whatever it may be. So there, there's that. Uh, and then you lose your offensive lineman, your starting tackles for the year. Okay, then there's that. Then you lose your starting quarterback. Then you lose your backup quarterback. There's just so many things they can say that this season went wrong. I think it's way more than that. I think they're in trouble, and I think they're in trouble long-term. Whether they sign Dak Prescott to a long-term deal or not, this to me looks like a team in disarray. They look like a team that has quit and quit on their coaching staff. It reminded me so much yesterday 
uh, and I was there for the Green Bay-Dallas game in uh, Wade Phillips' last game, and they were blown out. They were non-competitive. They quit on Wade Phillips, and the next day they made the coaching change. This is Mike McCarthy's first season. He's not even through the first season, so they weren't going to make that change today. But it did remind me of that game, and I think that's an indictment on this coaching staff that you can't get your players, first of all, to stand up for your quarterback when he gets nailed in the head by an illegal uh, hit, but second of all, that you just basically look like you've quit and given up. And that's what it looked like to me. Whether they did or didn't, whether they're just not that talented, I don't know, but they look like they quit to me. Here's Cowboys COO Stephen Jones from earlier today talking about on the decision to stick with the coaching staff, at least for now. Anybody that's a competitor when you're not winning, you know, wants to figure out what the answer is. And when it's not right there at your fingertips and you don't have that silver bullet and you can't just fix it, uh, you know, then, uh, you know, you want to you wanna be able to get your hands around it and go to work and, and get back on track. And that's exactly where I am. I know that's where Jerry is. I know that's where our staff is, where our players are. We've got good football players that uh, – uh, you know, on this football team that want to want to get it right and uh, feel good that ultimately uh, we're going to, you know, with this staff, they're going to continue to improve and get better. It's first year with this group. Uh, you know, Jerry and I are big believers in uh, uh, sticking with uh, sticking with the staff. And, uh, you know, we just got to give them their opportunity to uh, work with these guys and continue to uh, implement what they're trying to get accomplished and Ultimately, uh, we're going to have a good football team. You know, it's one thing to be competitive in losing games, and it's a fluke. It's a bounce of the ball. It's a bad call. It's a bad decision, whatever. When you're just not competitive. I mean, they're almost the NFC's version of the Jets at this point. I'm thinking about the other teams in the conference right now. I mean, the Falcons are competitive, even though they're not winning. The Vikings are for the most part competitive right now other than the Giants who were competitive against the Eagles and the Cowboys I'd say the Cowboys if I had to pick one team in the NFC that is the equivalent of the Jets I'd say it's the Cowboys that's not acceptable Shireen this isn't well we're trying really hard and we're going to have a breakthrough I feel like this team isn't capable of having a breakthrough yeah, I don't either, Mike, and especially when now the quarterback's gone and everything else that has happened, all the injuries they've had. But to me, the defense is just so terrible, and and I don't know how you how you fix this defense other than getting rid of the defensive coordinator and maybe letting Jen Thomasula take over as defensive coordinator the rest of the year. I mean, it's non-competitive, and this is basically the same talent that they had last year under Chris Richard and, and uh, Rod Marinelli, and they ranked ninth in total defense, and they can't stop anybody. I mean, this is a, a Washington team that hadn't had 80 yards, I'm sorry, 60 yards rushing in a game, more than 60 yards rushing in a game this season. They had more than 60 in the first quarter, a running back. And Gibson had over 60, so they can't stop the run. They can't stop the pass. The, the defense is just non-competitive, and it was non-competitive when Dak was there. I mean, Dak was having to throw for all these yards because the defense was giving up so many plays, play after play after play and point after point after point. So this is not something that that has happened since Dak Prescott left uh with that ankle injury, this is something that's been ongoing all year with this defensive unit. And I do think something needs to change with that defensive unit, whatever it is, whether you trade players out of here who aren't helping you or change the defensive coordinator and or both. 
right, we got to take a break, but one quick thought, something to ponder as the weeks continue to unfold. And Dak is around the team to see what's going on with the coaching staff. I can't help but wonder whether the ongoing franchise tag dance between Dak and the Cowboys at some point becomes less about Dak getting his best possible contract and more about using the devices available to him under the CBA to actually get to another team because he does have an escape hatch if he just refuses to sign a long-term deal. He'd have to put in one more year, maximum two more with the Cowboys, and then he could get out for good. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to answer some of your questions when PFTPM continues right after this. Cliff, just wondering what you saw out of Tyler's um, game, and was that a growing point for him as far as just his career? I thought it was phenomenal. Um, you know, super competitive. He had that look in his eyes the whole game. I mean, he told me, he said, don't, basically, don't ever be conservative again. I got you. And he went out there and won it at the end. Um, so he's, he's fun to coach. He's competitive. He wants to be great. And, uh, you know, anytime you're going toe-to-toe with a guy like Russell Wilson, I know that meant a lot to him. Cliff Kingsbury talking about his quarterback, Kyler Murray, first overall pick in 2019. First question from at Dean Osborne, 42. Is Kyler Murray now the season MVP front runner? There's one undefeated team left in the Pittsburgh Steelers. Maybe Ben Roethlisberger would be the candidate from there. Russell Wilson was. Kyler Murray beats him. Is Kyler right now the favorite, Shereen? Yeah, I'm not going with Kyler on the favorite, but I do think he's in that discussion, Mike. When you look at Russell Wilson, he has 22 touchdown passes, right? That ties the record through six games. Peyton Manning had also had 22. I just think he's playing at elite level. Thought Kyler played better than he did yesterday with the three interceptions that, that Russell Wilson uh, threw, and he keeps having performances like that. We are going to start talking about him. But I would, I would say Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers – Uh, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, and you mentioned Ben Roethlisberger and perhaps Ryan Tannehill or or Derrick Henry. We talked uh, to Derrick Henry about that last week, and and he wants Ryan Tannehill in that conversation. But those are all good candidates. I don't know if there's a favorite. Like, we were talking about Russell Wilson, the favorite, 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 now that he's lost this game to Kyler Murray. It's kind of tempered that a little bit. But I still think Russell Wilson is still my favorite at this point. I think the key is this, and we won't know until the end of the season. We typically won't know until the end of week 17, possibly all the way up until the final game. The one seeds have to get locked in. Once we know the one seeds in each conference, the quarterbacks of the two one seeds are the most likely MVPs, unless somebody just blows away every statistical category, like it's a Derrick Henry breaking Eric Dickerson's record, like Adrian Peterson did in in 2012 to, to beat Peyton Manning for the award. So, One seed is going to be the key, the quarterback of the one seed, whether it's Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, Aaron Rodgers, or in the AFC, whoever the one seed is, Patrick Mahomes, if that's how it shakes out, that's where your your regular season MVP favorite comes from. Next one, at mhadad 715 which one of the four NFC West teams is the least likely to make the playoffs? I think all four of them can. If one is out, who's out, Shireen? It's hard to say, Mike. I mean, do we even know much about these teams outside of Seattle just because they beat up on the NFC East? I mean, that's been the division that they've played this year. I really don't know anything about the Rams. I can't tell you. If I had to pick a least favorite, I mean, I've tried to write off the 49ers for three or four times this year, and they just keep coming back from the dead. 
I'm going to go with the 49ers, but the way Kyle Shanahan's coaching and what John Lynch has done with that roster is nothing beyond unbelievable. And if they can keep going, it's not going to surprise you they make the playoffs. But I'm going to go with the 49ers just because of all the injuries they've had. I'll say the Rams because, again, their four wins are against the NFC East. And we'll find out more about the Rams tonight when they play the Chicago Bears. When we return, we will get you ready for that Monday night football game between the 5-1 and one Bears and the 4-2 and two Rams. We'll be back to wrap up PFTPM right after this. Bears and Rams tonight. You know, I should be more excited about this. Why is there just some nagging sense? I don't I don't get it. Five and one versus four and two. Shireen, talk me into being more excited about this game tonight. I, I wish I could. I'm the same way. And I kept thinking, <laughs> why aren't I excited by this game? I just think I, I'm not sold on either one of these teams. And one of these teams is going to have a really good record after tonight. But I'm still not sold on them. I just, I just look at them and go, I just don't see it. I don't see them as being a Super Bowl contender. The Bears love it that way, too. Nick Foles so animated last yes, week do. after the Bears got their fifth win and nobody believes in the Bears, and that plays right into their hands. So I've picked the Rams. That means the Bears are going to win. Shireen, who do you think wins? I'm going to go with the Bears tonight. There we go. Well, yeah, that's that's the first step toward the Bears' downfall. Once people start to believe in the Bears, it's going to be over for the Bears. It's over for us. Here's Safety Blitz with Rodney Harrison and Jack Collinsworth. We'll see you tomorrow.